Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 637. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And I always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, uh, we are going to pay tribute to one of our favorite authors slash teachers named Thich Nhat Hanh, Mm -hmm. who passed away at some point last week. Um, So um, we're going to play some quotes or talk about some quotes. Yeah, just talk about like, you know, obviously we can focus on him and his history, but really what did he say or share that enlightened us and or enlightened the world um, and how those quotes live on and sometimes they don't get attributed to him and, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, But first, a few housekeeping notes. The Zen Parenting Virtual Summit begins on Monday. January 31st. That's so to, that's literally a week from today. Now I know the show comes out on Tuesday, but we record on Monday. So it is a week away. And Kathy and I have a set of personal goal. We wanted uh, to have a thousand people register so they can receive the gift that Kathy and I want to give, which is basically um, us talking about Kathy's book and 13 other thought leaders throughout the week talking about something that they think is important. Their expertise. Their expertise. So we're at 650. So if you haven't signed up, it's free. There's no catch. Uh, All you got to do is go first name, last name, email address. Um, It's just our way of kind of bringing some attention to Kathy's book. But more importantly, just um, say thank you to our listenership who's been doing this for who's been with us for 11 years, or at least some of you have been. We're actually at 663. All right. Well, So it has kind of a life of its own, like every day it just kind of ticks up, and sometimes it's because of things we're posting, but I think it, it's just being shared. So keep doing that, um, and uh, it will be – it's going to be great. Like, first of all, a few things that we want to share about it. Obviously, you guys know it's free if you've already registered. Number two, it's virtual, so you don't have to go anywhere. Number three, uh, as Todd said last week, and I've been using this language, it's on demand. So the day that you get your, you know, the email saying, here's the talks, you can listen to them anytime that day. Like, you don't have to, like, listen to it at 6 a.m. You don't have to listen to it, you know, at a certain time. You just listen to it when when you have the chance. And I'm saying listen to it that day because then the next day you're going to have three more people. So, you know, just, it's an opportunity for you to engage with something around your schedule. And, um, so on the day one, so what you're going to, what's going to happen if you register, you're going to get an email from us and it says, here's the three things we're offering today. One is Kathy and I talking about chapter one of her book. And then we have Shafali Sabari and Mike Damish, separate interviews. And we talked to Shafali, who's a friend of ours, um, she wrote The Awakened Parent. Is that the first one? Uh-huh. And she talked about partnership and parenting. Yeah. And she was very vulnerable. I, I really appreciated her interview. And then Mike Damish just totally blew me away talking about consent and intimacy and talking to our kids about sex and how we deal with it as grownups. And that's day one. And then we have four more days behind it. So please, I uh, invite you to register and share it with a friend. And one more thing, because this has the, you know, this on-demand virtual component, um, components, Todd and I want to make sure that we're interacting somewhat with everybody. So we we recommend you go to our Instagram page, which is um, at Zen Parenting Radio, 
because we're going to be doing Insta Lives throughout the week. So you can ask questions. We can answer questions that have been asked of us. Um, we can kind of have that interactive you know, component since all of this is virtual and on demand. Mm -hmm. So if you are already um, connected to our Instagram page, then you're all set. Um, and just, you know, check out when we go live or you can watch the replays. Um, and I do want to uh, say we do this thing called uh, Team Zen. We do two Zen talks a month. It's basically a community of parents. Kathy and I kind of... Um, participate in discussions with listeners and uh we have a brand new team zen member uh jill from gray's lake so thank you to jill for signing up i think we got somebody else last night too did you see that uh i think that was jill was that jill okay but i could be wrong and then uh we have a zen talk later today at 11 a.m so okay. if you're getting this and listening to it early in the morning on tuesday and you want to join us and uh lean on us and the community for some support and connection uh, please feel free to sign up. First month is free. So just type in the coupon code friend and first month is free. So All right, let's get going. Um, we like to start the show with Kathy's Zen Parenting Moment. This last one that you sent out on Friday is called The Inner Critic. And I always like to start out with a quote that you share. And it's from Amanda Gorman, whoever that lady is. No, you got to give her more props than that, babe. She is a poet and she spoke at Biden's um, oh, inauguration. Oh, Oh, nice. Yeah, so she's not just a lady. She's a very, um, very... Well, that's why I have you here, sweetie. Yeah, she's a, she is one of the best poets of our time and she's very young. Yeah. Youngest, she was wearing that uh, gold dress or yellow dress. Yellow right? dress with a red hat. The youngest inaugural poet in U.S. history. Um, and here's her quote for, There is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. And then I'm just going to read your first paragraph because I think it basically summarizes it beautifully. Traumatic experiences have a way of morphing into shame. And shame tells us that what lives inside of us is flawed and that we need to hide it. Mm -hmm. Our inner voice is our greatest critic, telling us that nobody wants to hear our opinion and that offering ourselves is to risk humiliation and harm. It's a vicious cycle of needing to share to release the shame, but being too ashamed to share anything we feel. Talk about the perfect example of a paradox. Like, okay, so someone tells you, Oh, you're experiencing shame. You just have to talk about it. And then once you put it out there and people understand and validate, empathize, normalize, it dissipates. But the whole goal of shame is to never share. So talk about like two things well, hitting and, each other. And you name it the inner critic. And yeah. that is the voice inside our head that mm -hmm. tells us that we're not good enough. And I... I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I have the inner critic inside of me. And there's also this loving, relational, connected, um, optimistic part of me as well. And it's these, it's like, you know, which wolf will you feed? We've talked about that quote. You know, there's two wolves and you're going to feed the one that tells you you're not good enough or one that tells you that love is, love is conquers all. That's like a 2012 show. Yeah. We did that like 10 years ago. Way back when. Yeah. And, but it works perfectly for this. Like you, we, um. I can hear you drinking tea, by the way. Sorry, it's annoying, but it's really good tea. It's Egyptian licorice. Do this when you drink. Like, go like that. Okay. Away from the mic, because then other people are Plus, I got you. a little tickle in my throat. I'm, do you? Yeah, yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Um, so anything else you want to share? Because I do want to share this picture right here. <laughs> and nobody knows what you're laughing at. Oh, yeah. Are you good with the moment? Uh, yeah, totally fine. Mm -hmm. um, Kathy texts our family of five 
random things. Usually it's about pop culture, but this time it was whatever, some gif from the New York Times, and it's titled Japan's Monkey Queen Faces Challenge to Her Reign, mating season. And it's this uh, monkey, it looks like, how do you pronounce it? Macaw? Yeah, I think that's right. I feel like Macaw's a bird. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Macacue. Yeah, I don't know, Todd. Looks like a uh, chimpanzee or orangutan. I don't know. I'm not a monkey guy. It's a monkey. Some type of monkey. And it says um, her name is Yaki, a female monkey in a nature reserve in Japan, violently overthrew the alpha male of her troop to become its first female leader in the reserve's 70-year history. She presides over 677 monkeys, but a messy love triangle could endanger her status. I don't know why you sent that to me other than it's awesome. And I... I just thought because the whole thing is like a female um, monkey is now in charge. It's, and it's it's not the way it usually goes. It's, it's, her, it's the first female leader in 70 years. So she's in charge, but... It's it's we're gonna see what happens because there there could be a messy love triangle. It's kind of like a reality show for monkeys. Um, I would t- tune into that. And like the title of it is Japan's Monkey Queen faces challenge to her reign mating season. Yes, because mating because then oh women we just have so many things that we have to think about. Yes, and I'll bet you this. I'll, I'll bet you Yaki. Uh, carries a lot of the emotional labor. Yeah, so she's like, I gotta, I gotta reign here. Over six hundred seventy-seven monkeys, and she's like in charge, and she's like, and you know, is did someone put everything away? Mm-hmm. Did someone start the dishwasher? Yeah. Did somebody make sure we cleaned up our mess? Took I care s- of the baby. Well, and you know, did ge- my job genetically. The males are typically stronger, which is why they're the ones that reign supreme. So this right. is one physically strong female monkey and just that it, the only part of it is the rough word of violently overthrew the alpha male because that's what that, they do i know i know and it's the way and i'm not like throwing our queen monkey under the bus i just you know that was a that's a hard line but that's the way it goes that's the only way the male monkeys will right. listen right right like they're not gonna they you, should be in men living you can't you can't be rational with these male <laughs> monkeys you gotta say hey here's what's happening Here's here's my here's violence. My way or the highway. Right, 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 right. So, anyways, yeah, you should do a Wednesday night meeting about about this female monkey, or talk to the male monkeys. Yeah, guys, bring it in. Bring it in. Bring well, it in. We've been in charge. Bring it in tight. We've been in charge for seventy years. Can let's just try this out and see what happens. Right. I know. God. Well, you know, one thing that I always I and I'm trying to remember what teacher um, said this to me. I think it was a woman. That I saw at Emerging Women, and she talks more about finances than anything, but she's got this really kind of holistic perspective, and she talks about how the goal always is you have to think about, you know, male, female, men, women, just, you know, all genders as wings, Mm -hmm. you know, and that we need energy on both sides of a bird. We need masculine energy. We need feminine energy. We need both so that bird can fly. And too long we have been just one wing has been flapping really hard and trying to maintain like, no, no, we'll do it. We'll do it. But we're going in circles. So it's not about, you know, we're, we're reading the story about that this female monkey overthrew, you know, this male monkey. It, that doesn't mean like that it, everybody should get overthrown. It means 
we need, we need to bring balance to the force. Easy, Obi-Wan. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like I have to be careful. My daughter, one of my daughters is doing a, uh, oh, like a presentation on feminism. And, you know, we've been talking about it, about how she can do it so everybody can hear it. Because if you come out too strong, then there's a lot of people that can't hear it. And, and you have to explain it in a way where everybody sees how they benefit and that they understand the bird wings that we need balance. This and is- where I struggle, I totally agree with you. If you're going to, if, if, if I'm in a circle of men and they're telling a bunch of sexist jokes, right. there's two ways, there's there's a, a many ways to go about it. Some guys, like I might be like, dude, that's not funny. Shut the F up. Right. And odds are that man who's telling the jokes is going to dig his heels in, get defensive or whatever. That's one way to do it. Right. Another way to do it is kind of pull him aside saying, listen, hey, man, I've been a part of that community of telling the bad, stupid jokes. Yep. And it's just not cool anymore. Yeah. That would probably be more effective. My problem is there is t- there are times when we do have to just say enough, like, re- and do it from this place of power versus. And I would say most of the time you need to do it the rational way, but there's times when you just. Well, can you can both be true? Like you just said, do it the rational way, but can you say something sharply and still be rational? Yes. It just depends on the situation. Like, obviously, you know, let's say somebody's hurting my daughter. There's, right. there's no time for rationality right. in that moment. Right. And these are extreme examples I'm right, saying. Right, right. I'm just like, what I don't want to do is men, women, it doesn't matter, gender fluidity. There's times when, um, you know, just sheer strength and and power needs to happen right. to stop something. And I think all genders do that. Yes. I think of that course. I mean I'm thinking as a mother, I can't tell you how many times I've like pulled somebody out of the way before they've, you know, or make, you know, yelled at someone when they're running in the street. Like sometimes you just jump on a situation. It's just and you're right. I think you're kind of thinking about rationality is like being super thoughtful about yes. what you're about to say when really you are rational if you are saying this isn't okay. And I think there's a way to, and, and the, you know, it's so funny. The only person I really do this with is your, is your dad. Um, hey dad, he hey, listens. Hi. And he's, I mean, and you know, Alan, if you're listening, you're great about it. You listen, you ask questions, you're, you know, we talk about it. Um, but sometimes it's the, it's just saying, no, let's not do that. Mm-hmm. And and that's I, that's very rational, don't you think? I do. And what I'm thinking of right now, and then we'll start talking about Tick, is... Um, Tay, people call him. His friends. Right. Oh, do, are we not his friends? I don't know. Okay. I never met the guy. Okay. Um, and I thought it would be Ty. I think it's Ty. Yeah. But it's spelled T-H-A-Y and T-A-Y, yeah. so I didn't know if it was Tay and Ty or if they're just both pronounced Ty. So here's my pendulum swing moment okay. of the morning. All right. Uh, I I'm in a men's group. We we watch this thing called the bystander moment um, on on our weekend, and uh, it talked about alpha males and beta males and how the new male is uh, is getting so soft that we're just like mushy and won't. <laughs> so what's and so I, dumb? I know it's so dumb, and I identify as a beta male. Like I'm not the alpha male. Like just coming in like a bull, like a bulldog in a china shop, just like breaking everything around me. You do when there's charges on the phone. Yes, I do. That's the thing is, and I'm, I'm joking, but you have an image of what that means, yet 
you are that way with certain things, just not with the things that you somehow identify as alpha. But even with the phone, like, I, I mean, what type of energy did I come in with this morning when I asked you about the uh, the the Apple charges? Your, your energy's fine, but you can have alpha energy and sure. not be a jerk. Right. I think you're, that's kind of what I mean about rational. All these things you're putting together is you're putting together alpha means you come in, take over, and you're a jerk. And that's not, there are alpha males and alpha, you know, females, alpha humans sure. that are not jerks. Mm-hmm. They just have that leadership energy. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think where I was going is, um, you know, there's a, bunch of guys that I surround myself with that are brave enough to, to share their softer side. Right. And there's times when we go too far to the soft side and, you know, allow ourselves to be um, so soft and powerless that, you know, and I don't know how this is going to land, that sometimes it's not even an attractive quality from our partners. Mm-hmm. Like just... Give me an example. <sighs> Allowing, you know, for, all right, I'm going into the archetypes here. When in the four male archetypes, there is the uh, warrior. Mm-hmm. And in its essence, the warrior is determined, singularly focused, will use his, his power and authority to get whatever it is done. And then there's these two bipolar shadows. The, and the bipolar shadow is the unconscious version of it. Mm-hmm. And the active shadow is the sadist, which is like Darth Vader, right. like mm-hmm. using his power to create chaos and pain and suffering. Right. And then there's the masochist, which is the one who allows himself to be harmed. To be harmed at the expense of what's most important. So I don't And who's an example of a masochist? Um God, that's a good question. I should know this because I've been studying it for a long time. Um Is there a Star Wars? <sighs> I can't think of one in okay. this moment. Um keep but, going. But so there's times, and I think, you know, for, for the cisgender couples out there who are married to somebody of the opposite sex, I think I can say that there's times when the guys are so kind of apathetic and lazy and complacent and doesn't stand in their power. Like, um, remember on Christmas vacation and the sheet of ice goes through Julie Louis-Dreyfus's window? Uh-huh. And she's the one that has to go over to Clark Griswold. Right. And he punch doesn't him. go. Right, right, right. He's the masochist. He's not yeah. standing in his power. His name is Todd, as it turns out. I know. There's a lot of which is another reason masochist Todd's. <laughs> so, Todd. So my point is, it's the time when you need to use your warrior energy at certain times. And obviously, I'm talking about a movie, but that's the only... Um, so it's like a coward, it's like a cowardly shadow. Yeah. A man possessed by the masochist feels he is powerless, push over, no boundaries. You can walk all over him. He may hate his job or the relationship he's in complains about it, but doesn't quit. He digs in, tries harder to be who his boss or girlfriend or whoever wants him to be and takes even more abuse. Okay. I totally get that. Are you with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely not you. Yeah. But I, there are, I'm sure there's times when you've seen that. You know, I would love to say I'm in my warrior essence all the time, which is a, a balance of when to use my power, when to pull back, let other people use their power. But I'm sure you've seen me at times where I am well, I am cowardly, right? Okay, I can't believe we're going through the archetypes right now because you talk about these all the time, but <laughs> <laughs> let's just go. So here's the thing, though. Like, I know enough about the archetypes that I can challenge you on this and you tell me if I'm wrong because mm-hmm. you know it a lot better than I do. Sometimes... It is being in your warrior and then becoming 
and and you are not in your highest self as a warrior and you become a you're you're saying you become a masochist but what if really you're going into your heart center you're not you're not becoming weak and staying as a warrior mm-hmm. you're actually shifting not to magician what's the lover. other one lover yeah to so feel. you maybe are in lover, but you're like, am I being the masochist? Am mm-hmm. I being walked all over? And and I think they're two different things. Well, that's what's cool about the archetype. So yeah, and so each archetype, king, warrior, or sovereign, because this this is equally true for women, by the way. This is not a... That's man. what I mean, is yeah. let's just say all genders. We'll call it sovereign. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is that, what does that word mean to you, sovereign? King-like. King-like. Queen-like. Okay. okay. Royalty. Sovereign. Yeah. The, the all-knowing, the, the one who... Underst- who is in charge of many, you know, you talk about... Overseeing. Yes. The Japanese monkey. Yes. Okay. Um, so the sovereign, the warrior, which we talked about, the magician, which is when we're in our head. When you're in your head. When we're thinking. And then the lover, lover which is when heart. we're feeling our feelings. What's cool about using these archetypes to kind of filter our own experiences through them, It there are times when you have to let go of the warrior energy and move over to the lover energy. Yeah. But even the lover energy has its own shared bipolar shadows, sure. uh, active and passive shadows. Sure. Um, you know, for the lover, it's, you know, it's, the active shadow is the, the for example, the guy who just wants to have sex with as many women as he possibly right. can. And then the by the passive shadow is the, is the impotent lover, you know, the one who doesn't want to experience intimacy and sexual and he's very boundaried like he just like Cyrano boundary I don't know who Cyrano is I'm just thinking about like in that story there's the guy who is like in full lover energy and he wants to read all this poetry Mm -hmm. to Roxanne Mm -hmm. but then there's the guy behind the scenes who is feeding him all the language but is not willing to step up and say I love Roxanne very good I can't believe you're quoting Roxanne the movie from the 1980s I'm not I'm that's a movie I'm talking Cyrano de Bergerac is what that was based on I have no idea what you're talking about oh really yeah oh yeah that's a that's a play on quoting Steve Martin no no and actually Todd interestingly um but yeah that's a wonderful example yeah of Of uh, the impotent lover, like he's not willing. He's not willing to feel his feelings, and instead he's just using somebody else's to. So they actually remade the movie, and it's coming out, um, or it may have already come out. And Peter Dinklage is is you know the Steve Martin character. Interesting. Yeah, but it's it's based in an old story. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So uh, does. Peter Dinklage have the big nose the way Steve Martin did? No. So, but Peter Dinklage has a form of dwarfism. Okay. So obviously there is a feeling that he does not feel like he could be with Roxanne. Got it. Which is really interesting because in Game of Thrones, he's a total sex symbol. Right. You know? Yeah. I've never seen that show, but I know he's showered with women everywhere. Yes. Um... Okay, so we can go down that path, but we did say we were going to talk about Thich Nhat Hanh and some of his quotes, so I say we move. You ready? Yeah. Okay, so first of all, Thich Nhat Hanh, let's just, for those of you, many of you know who he is, um, and I actually wanted to share a story really quick that my friend Jess had the opportunity to see him oh, wow. um, in Chicago, okay, and he came to the outdoor theater in Grant Park, what's that called? Um, it's next to the Big Bean. Next to, yeah. So... What she said about it, which was, this was many years ago, but she said it was really interesting how before he came out, you know, it's outside mm-hmm. and there's just like a lot of movement. A lot and of energy. A lot of energy. Middle, and of, then middle of Chicago. When he walked to the stage, 
She's like, it was so weird. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm like getting tingles right now. She's like, everybody got really calm. And part of that is respect. Mm -hmm. And part of that, she just felt like it emanated from him. You know, just one of those human beings who I have never seen him in person, so I don't have a story like this. Um, But watching him from afar and having him be a teacher of ours for sure, like we, we... you know, in my book, Zen Parenting, his books, his book is one of my recommended books. Mm. Like out of, I chose 10 and Pieces Every Step Mm. is absolutely something that anybody interested in him as a teacher or in Zen Buddhism, you know, should read. And you know what, even if you're not interested in Zen Buddhism, just read it because it'll make you feel more connected. You'll be a better human being. Exactly. What I love about um, his writing is that I think he writes in Vietnamese and then it gets translated. Translated, yeah. But the bottom line is it, it's very simple language. And for somebody who doesn't consider himself much of an academic, that being me, I love simple language. Um, yet the message is really impactful. So Yeah, like he that's Todd um, loves that about him because he it's it like it's almost written and I'm saying this with deep respect for what you just said and, and the way he wrote it, but like it's written for a child. Mm-hmm. But aren't we all? Yeah. Like meaning it's like, let me just lay this out. You know, walk on the grass. Like, and many people be like, oh, there's no flair to that, but you don't need flair to that. Walk yeah. on the grass. So basically the basics is Thich Nhat Hanh. He was a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, peace activist. Uh, he founded Plum Village, which is located... Where is Plum Village? It's in France. And, but there's a bunch of different locations, I oh, think, now. Could be right. So he's historically recognized as the main inspiration for engaged Buddhism, yeah. you know, and... Active Buddhism. Active Buddhism. And you may know from his history that MLK nominated him for a Nobel, um, Peace, Nobel Prize. Peace Prize. So there's a very... Uh, he, he was 95 years old when he died. So he has quite a history. And I recommend, rather than listening to Todd and I talk about his history, Go ahead and read about him. Um, And he actually had a stroke a few years ago. And I think you and I were like, I don't know if he's going to, like, it was not great. Yeah, he hung on for a while. And I remember reading some quotes even before he had the stroke. Like, he's like, this doesn't have to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Mm -hmm. He's like, I think he was somebody who truly was okay with death. Yeah. And I think most of us human beings, myself included, I would love to say, oh, yeah, I'm ready. But when the time comes and... My breath isn't there the way it's supposed to be. I think it's going to be kind of scary. Well, and I guess I think about with him, that's what he studied his whole life, right? And I don't think anybody's ready, and I'm putting that in air quotes for death, but there is acceptance, which is everything he talked about, which is this is the way of things. This isn't a surprise. This And, you know, talk about somebody who, like, inhabited, who lived all the things that he taught, Mm -hmm. you know, he just walked the walk. So let's talk about some of his quotes that we love. So the first one, since you're my partner, is from his book, How to Love, a true partner or friend is one who encourages you to look deep inside yourself for the beauty and love you've been seeking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it sounds really like, oh yeah, that's beautiful. But really think about that. Do you, are you in competition with your partner? Are you one-upping your partner about who did more around the house? Are you arguing about who's parenting a certain way? Are you um, very focused on that they should be paying more attention to you? Like a true partner encourages you to look deep inside yourself for what you've been seeking. Like the things that are most 
helpful to me are when, and, and I, and Todd and I have been having some really good talks about this. I think I've been talking at you and you've been a listener, which I appreciate, but I've really tried, tried to explain to Todd that, that a lot of times all I'm looking for is let me show you all these things and thoughts and ways I've lived and that you say, Oh, I get it. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but you're even with all these thoughts and challenges and paradoxical feelings, you are are beautiful the way not the outside, but like you are a good human. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're looking for from our partners is see all these pieces of me, not this, you know, surfacey or pretend piece and still be like, yes, all those pieces I love about you. And that's, and that's, I'm not saying it is the partner's job to make you feel good. It's just, that's what we hope for. Well, and I think maybe I'll spin this a little bit different sure. way. Um, any lack of beauty that I see in my partner. So in other words, let's say you're having a bad grumpy day and I'm just accusing you for being in a bad mood. Mm-hmm. Really, like, if you think about it, why is that a problem? Well, that's a problem because I get uncomfortable when somebody I'm in front of gets grumpy and I do feel like it's a disowned piece of me because can I accept myself when I'm grumpy right and instead I'm like well I'm not going to work on myself instead I'm just going to see your grumpiness and say that it's wrong right so what I always get out of uh, some of these types of teachings is this is really all about how we can own our own beauty and be that thing and then bring that to whoever I happen to be in relation with. But I think a lot of times we're just looking for our partner to make us feel good. Of course. And this is such a good lead in, Todd, because Sharon Salzberg, who is a teacher of mindfulness that I follow, she posted something yesterday um, that it was an interview that she did with Bell Hooks, who actually passed away a couple weeks ago, author, activist, um, someone that whose quotes I absolutely adore and whose books are beautiful. Um, and she happened to meet him and she said this. So I'm going to just put this into the, yep. is that all right? Yep. Put it right up My to the first time meeting Thich Nhat Hanh and I'd had all these series of bad racial encounters um, before I went to meet with him and as well as bad encounters with um, the the ex and uh, who wasn't the ex then. And then when I finally got, you know, I was looking forward with my whole heart to meeting Thich Nhat Hanh. All that could come out of my mouth was, I'm so angry. And then it was the tremendous shame I felt that here I was in front of this wonderful teacher and all I could All I could pull out was the ugliness and the mess of my rage. Um, And of course, he met that rage with loving kindness. And I would just always remember the sweetness with which he told me, oh, hold on to your anger and use it as compost for your garden. Mm. (laughs) Isn't that great? Use it as compost for your garden. Well, and I make up a story that Thich Nhat Hanh would do that with a stranger that he just met or it, his most important friendship in his life. Right. And the reason I'm saying that is <clears throat> it's almost easier to do that with a stranger, but can we invite our children, our spouses 
to do the same thing when they show their anger towards us or towards the world in front of us. Like that's when the rubber meets the road. Okay. That's the toughest part. So let me see if I can string this together and I, and you'll help me if it gets too tan- tangential. But I was just listening to one of my favorite podcasts about getting out of cults. You know, you know shocking. I listen to them all the time. And one of the guys who had gotten out was talking about how what he struggled with is how many people are cruel to him, not about the fact that he got out, but how could you be so stupid? To be in? To be in. Okay. So here he is. He made this, he put his whole life out there, made change, and actually the the leader of his cult is actually in prison. Mm. So they basically went to war with this, you know, put themselves out there to have this good thing happen, which was hold this person accountable. But he said so much feedback he gets is, why were you so stupid? And the thing that he's come to realize, and he's a very deep thinker, um, he I could talk about him at a later date, but he was like, what I've realized is that when people look at me, I tap into a part of themselves and how they realize the things they they won't realize the things that they have fallen for or they haven't dealt with their own trauma or of being taken mm-hmm. or being overwhelmed or or being you know having a narcissist come into your life and so he becomes the the, the symbol the symbol the reminder of their trauma yeah and and they're mad at him mm-hmm. for dropping the ball right. when they really drop the ball and they're just it, because it's, this is the thing about you know, so many things in life is the reason Todd and I talk about self-awareness all the time is if, you know, it sounds really cliche to say, if you're self-aware, you'll be more compassionate. Okay. What the hell does that mean? What it means is if you see yourself and your trauma and your experience and you talk about it and you deal with your shame and you talk about your guilt and you realize you get angry and you realize your humanity, you see everybody else that way. You don't blame other people. You're like, oh, I know what's going on with them because that happened with me. I know know what's going on with that guy who got out of this cult because I see how I've been like, you know, I, in my own personal experience, I was in an emotionally abusive relationship with a malignant narcissist and I had, and I was taken in. Mm -hmm. And so I had that experience. So I look at him and say, I get it. But people who can't see how that happens. And I've also had that happen with self-help. I've had so many experiences of being under, you know, taken in and that I look at people who, you know, follow whatever we're going to call a cult. And, you know, that falls under so many categories. And I'm like, see, I understand, but that doesn't mean it's okay. It means that I see how you as a human being got involved in that. And now we need to help you get out. Yeah. I feel like what, for some reason, Byron Katie's floating to me. So in the example that you just gave the guy who got out of the cult Uh and he's getting, you know, a accused as being weak by his peers or whatever, what that tells me, you know, if you could either, of course you can go blame the guy, like, how could you be so stupid? But that, how much help is going to come as a result of that? Instead, how can the opposite of that story be true? Like, how, how can you have compassion for this man to get seduced by a cult? Or how is it that I get controlled? That's bigger. In my life. That's bigger. Because if, that's the work like that, that in that way, the man is there as a reminder for me to do my own work on myself. Like, how am I controlled? How am I seduced by something? But it's just so much easier and safer and comfortable to just blame others for not 
owning their own piece. Exactly. And I'm writing about this right now. So it's like all on the top of my mind, but how just, you know, reiterating Todd's point, if there is anything you're in that's high control and it could be a partnership, it could be a family, it could it be, be a an job. organization, it could be Peloton, it could be your Apple watch, <laughs> you know, like if you are in a high control where you feel guilt, if you don't do things, if you feel shame for who you are, if you feel manipulated, if you feel lied to, if you feel like you're upholding someone else's lies, you are seduced just like these people were. Yeah, it just doesn't have the same title, but it's Correct. the exact, it's, I don't want to say it's, it's a similar enough thing to drive value if we go inward and start inquiring about, wow, why is this guy stirring up all these things. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Why am I so triggered? And it's because we have, and, and then when we understand we have that experience, what that creates against self-awareness is compassion for him where we say, what tools has he used and, and how can I see this better? And how can I realize red flags? We look at him as not as weak, mm -hmm. but as somebody who actually is discussing and dealing with their experience in a high control group. Yeah. And how am I not strong as Correct. strong as this man in front of me who did get out? Exactly. Okay. So beautiful. Everything always comes back to cults. Okay. So let's talk about another one. Okay, so let's do this. I like this one. You'll like this, Toddy. This comes from Pieces Every Step, and it's a perfect example. Oh, yeah. Thich Nhat Hanh, quote, Each time you look at a tangerine, you can see deeply into it. You can see everything in the universe in one tangerine. When you peel it and smell it, it's wonderful. You can take your time eating a tangerine and be very happy. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. Right, and how simple is that? Like, how am I, we have, I don't think, what are they called? The little oranges that we have upstairs? Clementines. Clementines. I don't know what happened to tangerines. Clementine seems to take ownership over the grocery aisle. Clementines are totally, they're like the Japanese monkey. Yeah. They're trying to like violently yes. overtake the clementine um, or the uh, tangerines. So I eat those almost all the time and I rarely ever smell the skin. No. Look inward, see the seeds. Right. See all the little stringy, like it is beautiful if you allow yourself to really experience a tangent, but instead I'm hungry and I need to eat, eat something totally. real quick or whatever. So yes. Well, I have a dream and I know I've looked into it and I know I can't do this here in Chicago, but of having a lemon tree. And, you know, <laughs> when we're in Florida, you know, I always love seeing people's lemon trees and I always really want to go up and steal a lemon from their tree, but I don't. But there's something I think about, I sometimes think when we get our clementines in a bag from the store and we just don't know where they've been and what process and how they've been created. Sure. And, and I'm not saying I, I'm not saying they're bad, good or anything. It just doesn't feel you're not connected it, to it. not at all. But if you pull a lemon oh, yeah. off a tree, yeah. you're like, okay, tree. Especially if you pull off a lemon off of a tree that you planted, yes. and 20 years later it's spread, or 10 years, however many years it takes for a lemon tree to grow. Like I remember one time. You started doing gardening in this little area we have in our backyard. Yes. And then I think you said it and it landed for me. You're like, I put this seed in the ground. <laughs> I, I put it in dirt. Yeah. I watered it. I watered it. And then a tomato showed up. The earth provided food for us. Like, if it, that's not the most overwhelming thought. I know. The gar gardeners right now are like, duh. <laughs> and, and I know because I, but I think that's what Thich Nhat Hanh is saying. Yes. Like, do you understand this experience? Because you are just going through it like rote, you yep. know, like, oh, yeah, 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 you know, and more, oh, God, I didn't get enough tomatoes. Mm -hmm. You know, there should be 10 and mm -hmm. there's only five. And it's like what, you know, 
do you understand how significant this is that you can grow your own food? Well, what's fascinating is that what does it take for something to grow? Dirt, water, oxygen, sunlight. Uh-huh. Doesn't need me. We don't create any of that. That <laughs> all comes from higher power. So all we got to do is just allow it to be. Now, of course, we can pull the weeds from right. the garden and we can plant the seeds. But it, it, be, before there were people, there was probably tomato plants mm-hmm. and tangerine trees. And it just kind of showed up. And we didn't do anything. Totally. It's crazy. I did an interview with Anne-Marie a week or two ago. Um, and... We were talking about this, about my meditation area and how there's this tree outside, you know, the tree outside of our bedroom and how I always have these funny experiences with the tree because I feel like the tree, and when I say this, I don't mean it's mean, it's not like the poltergeist tree, but it laughs at me a little bit, kind of like when I'm meditating, you know, I sit down and it's like the snow globe, right? I'm just thinking, 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 and then eventually before the meditation alarm goes off, there's a point when I'm like, okay. It's not that the thoughts are gone, but now I can see through them, yeah. right? And I'm I feel a little more calm, you know, all the things. And I always open my eyes when the alarm goes off and I see the tree and the tree's like, I've been fine the whole time. Yeah. I, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. The tree is doing like a permanent 24 hours a day, seven days a week meditation. Totally. And the tree's like, I'm cool with my leaves. I'm cool without my leaves. I'm cool with the berries. I'm cool with whatever, because that is who I am as mm-hmm. a tree. So, you know, trees and tomatoes. To pull in a quick uh, Wayne Dyer quote, we saw him speak a bunch of times. And I think he said something like, no tree is so foolish to fight amongst its own branches. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then I think what he means is, you know, the fact that, you know, right now there's something going on with things in um, Russia is putting their troops around. Uh, right. What country is that? Uh, Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all we're all branches of the right. same tree. And, you know, maybe this is part where people make fun of us for being too Pollyannish, but it's a truth. We're all people. And we're fighting amongst our own branches. Right. It's just so dumb. We're, we do it in our own families. Yes. Right. I mean, we like fight with our kids and fight with our partner and fight with our mother and fight with our, you know, uncle. And we're like doing it in our own homes, which is why we always talk about a big part of Zen parenting is if you can practice this within your own home, it's going to extend out. Whenever we say things like, you know, New Year's, we're like, we want more peace in the world. I'm like, do you know what that means? That means you have to do it. There is no like person who's going to come around and say, okay, you guys, I've decided peace. Yeah. We, we're, we're taking a vote. <laughs> Somebody knocks on your door is like, are you up for a more peaceful world? <laughs> oh yes. Put my name down. Put, put, I'm going to sign that petition. But it's more fun to say that than it is to figure out a way like the towels last yeah. night. <laughs> How oh, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many towels did we do? Uh, did we do in laundry yesterday? It was quite a few. Well, and that's the thing is like I also, I put, well, don't even get me started. There's so, so many towels. So we've been doing a lot of laundry and I made up a story that one of my kids uh, uses a new towel every single time mm-hmm. that they have to bathe mm-hmm. or take a shower. And, but I did, I'm, I'm patting myself on the back here. I was silly about it. Instead. And you asked the question and instead asked, of saying you use too many it, towels. It, so if I was in a grumpy mood, I'd be like, who's using all these towels? Because right. this is not good for the environment. And I don't like doing all this laundry, blah, blah, blah. But instead I chose not to fight amongst my own branches right. and said, how do we figure out, how do we figure this out? And how's this an opportunity for us to connect as opposed to be a vehicle, vehicle for disconnection? And, and 
in what turned out to be the truth is she's really not using as many as you think. Not nearly. I made up a lot of stories. I am using, and I don't even use that many. We hang those three and then we kind of, you can't use them over and over again. That's where we get to this line of where they're dirty. Yeah. And the, so, but anyway, we don't need to talk about the towels at the Adams house. Sweetie, we'll title this podcast. Let's talk about the to- towels at the end of We're going to call it Tomatoes and Towels. Okay. So this is from Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, book, The Miracle of Mindfulness. And, and it's just, I'm just reiterating what you were just talking about. We talk about social service, service to the people, service to humanity, service to others who are far away, helping to bring peace to the world. But often we forget that it is the very people around us that we must live for first of all. If you cannot serve your wife or husband or child or parent, how are you going to serve society? If you cannot make your own child happy, how do you expect to be able to make anyone else happy? Now, remember, this is translated. So for those of you who are like, but happiness is is just a feeling. Yes, yes, yes. This is just him trying to say, if you can't connect with your child, how do you think you're going to connect with other people? If all of our friends in the peace movement or of service communities of any kind do not love and help each other, then whom can we really love and help? It's the same thing. Mother Teresa said, best way to change the world is to focus on the people in your home. And it doesn't mean you can't extend outside of that. It's the practice. It's this belief that what we have to do out there is more important than what we're doing across from this person. Mm -hmm. Everything I have learned about myself has been, and this is a big discussion about when we talk about self-help and relational theory, self-help is lovely in that we can sit and think and contemplate and become more wise because of what we read, especially if it's research-based, which I prefer. Mm -hmm. But if you don't put it into practice, it doesn't mean shit. Mm -hmm. Like people who who spout self-help at me all the time and are like, well, I heard this and I heard this. And I'm like, do you do this? Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, it doesn't mean anything. You have to bring it into relational theory. So, you know, hard, you know, when Todd and I talk about having hard talks, we're not trying to demonstrate that marriage is hard or life is hard. We're trying to say the truth about everything we talk about is it necessitates difficult conversations. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. There's almost like a misalignment. Like if I'm like, oh, I'm just going to show up for the people in my, at my job or in my community, but I'm going to piss all over my, my family members or my parents or my kids that if, I don't know. It just seems weird. And I'm, I'm sure I am certainly guilty of that. And I think we all are. But like, it's always like, start with what you're closest to. And there will be a ripple effect that you can't even imagine. All the dynamic shift. Yeah, right. Everything changes. Yeah. You know, Todd being silly with the girls last night changes the way they relate to each other, the way they go to bed, the way they say the goodnight to me, the way they wake up. And you, in it, but too much of the time we're focused on I just need to do what I need to do or not do what I need to do. And we forget how, when I say not do, I mean like not show up for Mm -hmm. a conversation. And we just think that the chips lie where they may and we had nothing to do with it. Yeah, where I'm going is like the interconnectedness of if I'm good to my kid and I can send them off into dreamland from a good place, it's hopefully going to impact how she sleeps, how she wakes up. Everything. How she relates to her friends. And then if she relates to her friends well, then maybe those friends will relate to other friends well. And I think it keeps on going on and on. And 
So on that note, kind of everything we've talked about today, just to wrap it up, because I know we have to go, is one of my favorite Thich Nhat Hanh quotes. And I actually almost used it as the end of my book, oh, wow. but I used the Bukowski quote mm-hmm. instead. But this is, I'll probably use it in my next writing. So Thich Nhat Hanh, a teacher cannot give you the truth. Mm-hmm. The truth is already in you. You only need to open yourself, body, mind, and heart so that his or her teachings will penetrate your own seeds of understanding and enlightenment. If you let the words enter you, the soil and the seeds will do the rest of the work. So the way I uh, do that, uh, interpret that is we have everything we need. We have everything we need. It's not from the outside. You do not need to follow a specific guru to make you valuable. You do not need to do follow a certain dogma to make you belong. You do not need to be like somebody else to make you important. You already are. And that teacher, if you're calling them that, cannot give you that truth. You have to know it. Mm. It's the same. Let's let's get off of that for a second. Let's talk about parenting. You know, children and and uh, college students who listen to this show, or those of you who aren't parents, like you kind of know from your own parenting experience, like you, we, we try so hard to get our parents to like, like, I feel like every story in the eighties and nineties about a a man was him trying to impress his father. Mm -hmm. Right. And you probably see that in men living. Made most of his movies about About that. that, Right. Um, when is that next Top Gun movie coming out by the way? I think they're waiting for the, for the pandemic to stop. Yeah. Maverick's whole thing was, yeah. Every person he was. Yeah. Every character he's been, and you probably see that in men living, men who are still trying to impress their father. For certain, yeah. And they, that person cannot give you your sense of belonging. Now, I know this sounds paradoxical because we're saying connection, blah, blah, yeah. but once you get to a certain point, you can't live your life for that person anymore. Mm-hmm. There has to be a sense of knowing you belong to yourself. It's the same thing with a partner. They mm-hmm. can't get, you have to know it. If there's one thing that I focus on so much with the girls and I know they're going to have to make their own you know mistakes and find their own way because you only really know this once you live it but you have to come to a relationship whole Mm -hmm. you can't come into a relationship and think that person's going to give me the things I need because then you will always need them to be a certain way so you can get it you know um and I say that to them with people who are interested in dating them is if that person is looking at you and saying I'm better I need what you have, then it's a bit of a red flag. You know, two people have to come in whole, not perfect. They can have all their challenges and everything, but they have to at least know that you're not the answer to everything. I don't know if this will land, so tell me if you don't think so. Remember the the scene in Wall Street where Charlie Sheen and Martin Sheen are in the elevator? You know I watch Wall Street quite a bit. I know. I've noticed it. (laughs) I watch it all the time. Go to bed. Yeah, okay. And I've always loved that scene. I don't know if it fits into what you're talking about as far as the need to please their dad and all that. I'll play it just for fun. And then I want to play, then I want to read the actual quote that you close your book on because I have it because it's really good. He's using you, kid. He's got your prick in his back pocket, but you're too blind to see it. No. What I see is a jealous old machinist who can't stand the fact that his son's become more successful than he has. What you see is a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his... What? That's because you never had the guts to go out into the world and stake your own claim. Hmm.
Boy, if that's the way you feel, I must have done a really lousy job as a father. I don't know if that fits, but... Um, well, I mean, I guess... Like, I just wonder how much of actual things are going on between Charlie and Martin in that scene. Well, according to Bill Simmons, quite a bit. Really? They really got, they deep dive into oh, that, that they? they thought that that was some kind of like, but what's interesting is, is at the end of Wall Street, sorry, if you haven't seen it, it's, you know, it's been out long enough, um, is that he realizes after going after the, the money and the greed and the, you know, the Gordon Gecko life is there's nothing there, there, mm-hmm. there's nothing there. Yeah. Like you can make a ton of money and you can get your, you know, sushi maker mm-hmm. as he does. Um, <laughs> and you know, you can get. Daryl Hannah's character. What's her name? Just not my Randy fave. or something like that. It's Just not my fave. Um, but A- anyway, you can do that, but there's nothing there. Not only that, but not only was there nothing there, but he was also breaking the law and breaking his should, own value system. We should do a pop culturing on Wall Street. We I haven't know. done that yet. I could do that right now. I know. I've seen that a bunch of times. Um, and at the end of the movie, when his dad's in the hospital, yes. he finally breaks down yes. starts crying. You're He's a good like, man. I just wanted you to be proud of me. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Do you think there's something different? And I know, oh, we got to leave. Damn. Yeah. Um, so here's the quote. So I hope you guys buy Kathy's book, but this is the last quote. So she wrote, whatever, 200 and some odd pages. How many pages? 285. And this is the very last quote from a guy named Charles Bukowski. Read what I've written, then forget it all. Drink from the well of yourself and begin again. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is, and it's the truth. And you know? I love the fact that that's what you chose yeah. as the last quote. Well, and and I will, I know you want to end on that because that's a good ending, but I want to share what's in our bedroom, um, the Thich Nhat Hanh quote in our bedroom. Okay, sure. So this it's a gift that I gave Todd <laughs> I'm going. I'm laughing because I gave him this. This it's this picture of the two of us walking. It was like ten years ago. It was like right after we started Zen Parenting. Yeah. And I put this Thich Nhat Hanh quote on it, and I really liked it. And we put it in our bedroom, and it was really important. So I made another one. I was like, "Ooh, this is good." And remember, it was like Post life size. size. Yeah. And so we started like giving it to people yeah. as a joke. Yeah. Anyway, okay. This is the Thich Nhat Hanh quote in our room. It says. You are me and I am you. Isn't it obvious that we are inter-are? You cultivate the flower in yourself so that I will be beautiful. I transform the garbage in myself so that you will not have to suffer. I support you. You support me. I am in this world to offer you peace. You are in this world to bring me joy. Mm. It's a balanced. We are the same. We are each other's branches. Yeah. Lovely. Um, Go read his books. And sign up for the summit. And if you have any painting and remodeling to do in the Chicagoland area, reach out to Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald head of beauty. 630-956-1800, avidcode.net. And no podcast, no normal podcast next Tuesday. Next week we have podcasts. We have podcasts Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday. Friday. <laughs> we have a lot of podcasts next week. Get ready. Yeah. So buckle up. All right. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. Remember to register for our Zen Parenting Virtual Summit, where you will learn from 15 thought leaders and learn more about Kathy's book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen, pre-ordering my new book, or subscribing to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com resources. It's our new page where you can find everything we do in one place. If you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking and we'll talk to you again next week.